0: but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. All right, Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at the middle part of this sermon because in it, and throughout the whole sermon, contains the very meaning of following Christ of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I think, you know, there's the reason why we're dedicating most of this year for sermons along the line of things that you need to know, which, I mean, you know, if if the word's being preached, every part of it is things that we need to know, right? But we're doing this topically. And the reason is because we want to focus on certain things, because we have lost so much, And we have lost so much that it's really difficult to call the American church followers of Jesus when we really don't reflect Christ very much at all. And so we're focused here on not how to become a disciple, even though we have dealt with this previously and we will continue to make reference to it, And just as a reminder, becoming a disciple means to believe, to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, sent into the world to be prophet, priest, and king. And to become a disciple means to believe in him, to repent of our rebellion against him, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after him. But we are dealing here where discipleship begins. So our first couple of messages from this text, we proclaim that the followers of Jesus have a right heart. Therefore, to become a follower of Jesus does mean that your heart has to be made right, because followers of Jesus have a right heart. So notice in verse number 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we covered this first part about having a right heart, and what reveals our heart is our treasure, right? What you treasure reveals your heart. Then verse twenty two The lamp of the body is the eye, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And so we covered the first couple of uh, the first three verses in relation to it all begins with a right heart. And now here in verses twenty two. And 23, we want to pick it back up, and we're going to try to pick up the pace a little bit. We'll see how that goes, because I'm not very good at that. But notice, secondly, it all begins with the right perception. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you first have to have a right heart. And secondly, discipleship begins with a right perception. You must be able to see, right? Which means... You need to have your sight restored. Because Jesus said, if your eye is bad, you are full of darkness. Has anyone ever tried to walk through the woods or down an old country road at night with no light? Most of us have Pretty good eyesight. But none of us here know what it's like to be blind. The only way that we can kind of understand what that is like is either to be in the pitch black dark or to be in the dark and have our eyes closed. And so if our eyes are not able to see, if it's not able, if the eye is bad and cannot receive Light into it. And Jesus says, then your whole body is full of, will be full of darkness. Basically, if you can't see, it's dark. Spiritually speaking, if you're full of darkness, that is what you will be. And so he says, how great is that darkness? It's a terrible thing not to be able to see. And so we are born blind. We're born dead in trespasses and sins. And so it means that we do need to have our sight restored. But being a disciple of Jesus has meaning to it. It means that the beginning of discipleship is to have the right perception. And we need our sight restored. When you're dead in trespasses and sins, you're incapable of sight. John Calvin says about this passage, he says, When Christ calls the eye the light of the body, he employs a comparison which means that neither the hands nor the feet nor the belly, serves to direct men in walking. But that the eye alone is sufficient to guide the rest of the members of the body. If the hands and feet are foolish and improperly directed, the blame of the mistake ought to be charged on the eyes which do not perform their duty. It is the eyes that guide the rest of the body. And to walk in darkness is to stumble, fall, bump into things, maybe even fall to your demise. It is the eyes that direct the rest of the body. And so Jesus says that your eye, you must have the right perception. You must have True sight. Paul talks about those whose eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. He's talking about unbelievers. And he says that they have been blinded, but he says the minds of their eyes. So spiritually speaking, when we're talking about spiritual sight, and we're talking about spiritual eyes, we're talking about being able to see in the aspect of knowledge and reason and understanding and discernment. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers from keeping them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, Paul says. John Calvin also commented by saying this, we must now apply this comparison to the mind. The affections may be regarded individually as its members, but as they are blind in themselves, they need direction. Now God has given reason to guide them and to act the part of a lantern in showing them the way. But what is the real, What is the usual result? All the soundness of judgment which had been given to men is corrupted and perverted by themselves, so that not even one spark of light continues to dwell in them. This is what Paul talks about in Romans uh, Romans 1, about those who deny God, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they spiritually blind themselves. They gouge out their own eyes. So that... They may not be able to see. And how do we do this? Well, it's by not understanding where sight comes from and where light comes from. And how we do this is by not submitting ourselves to the light. We purposely blind ourselves when we choose the darkness, for Jesus is the light. We are like those in Isaiah 44 who make themselves gods and idols and they fall down to it and worship it. And they pray to it and say, deliver me for you are my God. And then Isaiah says, delivering the word of the Lord, They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot Understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment. Blindness, spiritually speaking, is not knowing. It's not knowing the truth, it is not understanding the truth, it is not being able to reason. And to discern the truth of God. John Calvin again writes, The substance of the present statement is that men go wrong through carelessness because they do not keep their eye fixed as they ought to do on the proper object. For whence it comes, or or, excuse me, for whence comes it that they so shamefully wander or dash themselves or stumble, but because, having corrupted their judgment by choosing rather to follow their own lusts than the righteousness of God, they not only extinguish the light of reason, which ought to have regulated their life, but change it altogether into darkness." Jesus says, when it comes to true discipleship and following him, that there is light. His is a kingdom of light. He was the light that entered into a world of darkness, a world that was confined and bound under the curse of sin. But Jesus is the light of the world. And so, to be a follower of Christ is to be a follower of the light. It means it's the ability to see. For it is in Christ that we are able to see, because he is the light of the world. To be a true disciple of Jesus Christ is a conversation and a reality of light. And not of darkness. You see, to be spiritually blind is the inability to think rightly, to be able to make reasonable discernment. Which is the reason why this is a popular topic in Scripture. Because not only are we told that we are blinded in unbelief, and we are born in that unbelief and we are born in that bondage and we are born in that blindness but we are even warned as christians as those who are saying that we are followers of christ and that we are followers of the light we are warned strongly about that not being just an assent that we make with our tongue but a reality In our lives, in other words, if we can now see, I once was blind, but now I see. The question is: Then why do our hands not go in the right? Why do our hands not grasp the right things? Why do our feet not walk in the right direction? Why is our stomach filled with the lusts and pleasures of this world? You see, the rest of our body should be going the same direction. If our eye is good, our whole body will be full of light. But if our eye is bad, our whole body will be full of darkness. And so we are even warned as Christians, like Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, Paul says in other places that it's not that we're not to have any association with the world. And it's not that we're not supposed to have any association uh, with unbelievers. We may be buying hamburger and hot dogs and bread from them. We may be engaged in certain transactions. So he says, it's not that we're supposed to go out of the world. Even Jesus said that we are to be in the world. And Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. But he says we're not to be of the world. In other words, our true yoking... Our covenantal bonds are to be in fellowship with righteousness and not unrighteousness. Therefore, we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, he says, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion has light with darkness? See, communion is a different thing. Right? Communion is this bonding and agreement. This communion is working for the same thing. Engaged for the same purpose. Having the same worldview, sight. So we're not to be... Unequally yoked with unbelievers, which Paul says, the analogy is light and darkness, having communion. He says that in Ephesians 5, that we were one time darkness. But he says, now we are light in the Lord. Think of that. The reality of the Christian, the reality of the disciple of Christ should be defined by light and never by darkness. Now, that does not mean that our light's as bright as it should be. Because our light has not yet been perfected. Christ is perfect and complete light, but it's not fully realized within us because of our flesh. There are still things, there are still, Still aspects of the light and molecules that you are still suppressing. And so the light's not as light as it should or bright as it should be in you or me, but it should be defined as light. So in the midst of darkness, if we are to make an analogy of let's say it is night and completely dark in here, the lights go out, maybe there's a storm, and I reach in here and I grab the flashlight and I turn it on, we ought to be able to define that flashlight as light. That's why it's called a flashlight, because it has light. That's why you're called a Christian, because it has Christ. So it should be defined as light. We shouldn't. It might not be as bright as it should be. The batteries may be a little worn down. The lens may be scuffed up. Or maybe you've purposely put a darker lens on it, and that needs to be removed. But there should be light, and we should be able to say, oh, there's light. We were sometimes, we were at one time darkness, but Paul says we are now light, and therefore we are to walk as children of light. So let us ask this question. Is our eye good? How good is our eye? See, if our eye is good, our body will be full of light. How much light does your body have? Are the members of your body doing that which is Reflective of light or darkness? And then Paul says that we're not to have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Because walking as children of light in the fruit of the Spirit, which is goodness, righteousness, and truth, we are to prove what is acceptable to the Lord. If you have light, that should be our motivation, right? To prove that which is acceptable to the Lord. Not acceptable to us. Not acceptable to Joe. Not acceptable to Frank. Not acceptable to Sally. But that which is acceptable to the Lord. Why? Because we are the children of light. And so Paul says, don't have faith fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them and then in those that are a little sluggish we are to proclaim awake you who sleep and arise from the dead and Christ will give you light when it comes to the righteous Solomon said that the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So we really should understand it this way. You know, as a new Christian, yeah, there's light that is gleaming over the horizon. Light has sprung forth, but you still can't fully see. It's not complete light, but as the sun continues to rise more and more and more and more until finally it gets to the perfect part of the day and the most light is being expressed and shined into the world, that is the way that we should understand the path of the just. There is a shining light that shines more and more and more and more into the perfect day. Why? Because we are the light of the world. And Jesus said, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Light should not and cannot be hid, unless you put it under a bushel. And so we are told and commanded that in the midst of this crooked and perverse nation, That we should shine as lights in the world because, as Paul tells the Thessalonians, you are the light, or you are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So how do we shine forth this light? Well, first of all, we have to have Christ who is the only true light he who is the light of the world must be shining through us. The psalmist said, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Lightning, Enlightening the eyes. Making them see. It's the word of the Lord that causes us to be able to see. And so the psalmist in Psalm one hundred nineteen one hundred five says Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Solomon wrote, The commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproves of instruction are the way of life. And then notice. Which is our third point for our text in verse number 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So you have to have a right heart. Okay, it all begins with the right heart. It all begins with the right perception. And it all begins thirdly with the right allegiance. Where does your allegiance lie? Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. You've got to make a choice. Just as Joshua told the children of Israel, choose this day whom you will serve. And Joshua made that choice because he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the same thing that's being stated here in Matthew 24, that no man can serve two masters. You've got to make a choice. After the golden calf, Moses challenged the children of Israel to make a choice. On Mount Carmel, Elijah made the challenge to make a choice. Why? You can't serve two masters. You can't straddle the fence. You have to be on one side or the other. Notice what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which is money, wealth. But he's making a principled statement here about no man being able to serve two masters. I mean, you are, through the actions, I mean, you can try to straddle the fence, but through your actions, you are going to choose one or the other. Paul says, Do you not know that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey? That's how we can identify who our master is. Who do you obey? And whomever you're obeying, that is your master. If you're obeying Christ, then he's your master. If you're obeying your own flesh, then your flesh is your master. If it's your lusts, passions, pleasures, or if it's some other individual... Whatever we yield ourselves to. Think of that. Whatever we yield ourselves to, whatever we give ourselves to, that's our master. Right? Isn't that the master-servant relationship? The master-slave relationship? The servant, the slave, is submitted to And so that's how we know who our master is, whom we obey. And Jesus here, because he's going to make some statements later, he's really making a precision statement concerning the service of God and wealth, which wealth basically means this, right? Your own pleasure, because if you have wealth, you can do what you want. You can get what you want. Why do people want wealth? For their own pleasure, right? Isn't that why you want... I mean, you want the reason why you want the extra money is so that you can go lay out on the beach for two weeks and not do anything, right? It's for pleasure. I'm not saying that there's not call for... Recreation and stuff. I'm just saying the desire for wealth. Is for our own leisure and pleasure. It's not so that we can do more necessarily. So we can do less. So we can pamper ourselves. And so Jesus is making a statement about serving. He's not saying that wealth is evil. He's saying serving wealth is evil. He's not saying money is evil. He's saying that if you're a servant, a slave to money, that is evil. Just like when the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Notice it does not say that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. You see, because who you submit yourself to, or whatever you submit yourself to, is who you worship. It's who you serve. Worship and service go together. True worship results in obedience. True worship results in service. And so Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other one, or vice versa. But you can't serve both of them. And so Jesus says, you cannot serve God and wealth. Remember the whom we call the rich young ruler? Lord, tell me how that I might inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to him, keep the commandments. Because in the commandments are Found life, right? The wages of sin, the wages of transgressing the law brings death. And so Jesus said, keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, I've kept all these from my youth up. Now it's interesting that Jesus makes, the statement is made about Jesus after that man tells him that and it says, and Jesus loved him. I think there was some kind of sincerity from this young man. But then Jesus reveals the commandments that he is not keeping. Jesus reveals his master. Because whoever your master is, that's who you will obey, right? And Jesus says, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have and come follow me. And then the Bible makes the statement that this man went away very sorrowful. And the reason why he went away sorrowful, the Bible says, that he had great riches. Jesus was simply asking, who is your master? Because you cannot serve God and riches. And then, uh, I think I'll save it for next week. I was going to try it actually. This will be our (laughs) our Palm Sunday sermon from Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-five through thirty-four. But next week we will work or we will look at the next thing. Actually there'll be two more statements points made. But it all begins with the right faith. See, it all begins with the right heart. It all begins with the right perception. It all begins with the right allegiance. So, where's your heart? How's your eye. How's your sight? Your spiritual sight? Are you full of light, or are you full of darkness? And who do you serve? Are you serving God, or are you serving your own pleasure? Father, we pray that you would make us true disciples of Jesus Christ, and we know that we can not Be true disciples on our own. That we need you to send forth the Holy Spirit to work effectually within us. To take away our heart of stone and give us a true heart of flesh. To come and heal our blindness. And to also change our loyalties. That we would denounce Satan and declare our allegiance to Christ and him alone. Lord, we pray that you would grant us these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.